Well, friends, would you turn with me, please, to the words that we read in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and reading again verses 18 to 22. We read now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, and a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. William Borden was born in 1887 into one of America's wealthiest families. As a young man, he felt a growing burden and conviction and calling to become a missionary. And when he was challenged by a friend as to why he was throwing himself away, why he was throwing his life away like this, he wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserves. After graduating from Yale University, he turned down a number of high-paying jobs as well as a a lucrative uh, church uh, to be their pastor, and he wrote in his Bible, uh, no retreats. His desire was to go to China and to preach to the Uyghur Muslim population, and so he spent some time in Egypt where he learned Arabic and Islam. While in Egypt, the 25-year-old Borden contracted spinal meningitis where he died. The last words he wrote in his Bible were, No regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. The life of discipleship, the life of of a follower of Jesus. Today we're continuing our studies in Matthew chapters 8 to 10 and we're focusing on two men who spoke about following Jesus and what Jesus had to say to them. We're looking at a scribe and then a son. First we have the scribe. Look at verses 18 to 20. Here Matthew focuses on a scribe who spoke about following Jesus. In verse 18, Matthew gives us the setting. We can begin by noticing the crowd, beginning of verse 18. And throughout verses 1 to 17, uh, Matthew is focused on Jesus uh, healing and transforming people's lives with just a word, uh, with just a touch. And now we read that a crowd was around him. Uh, They're full of excitement. They're full of anticipation about uh, what Jesus might do next. And upon seeing the crowd, Jesus gives a command. Verse 18 again, he gives an order to go into the boat to the other side of the lake. He is indicating his intention to leave the western Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee and to go to the eastern non-Jewish side of the lake. Some people suggest that this is because he was tired and he needed some personal space. But he seems to be doing more than looking for a bit of rest and recuperation. He's testing the crowd and seeing whether or not they will go with him. Those who have a general passing interest in him will remain where they are. But those who have a genuine personal interest in him will go to the other side of the lake. And having given us the setting, Matthew introduces us to a scribe. Look at verse 19. Matthew tells us that he approached Jesus. This man is a scribe. He is a teacher of the law. He is a religious expert. He is a man greatly respected by many. He is an educated man. He has a PhD in theology. A man greatly admired for his interpretation of scripture. But he also has a PhD in law. 
He's a man greatly admired and looked up to for his interpretation not only of the Old Testament scriptures, but also his application of these scriptures. And this man now steps out from the crowd and starts speaking to Jesus. And he proceeds to address Jesus. Look at verse 19. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now at face value, what this man is saying is very positive. He sees Jesus as a teacher. As someone worthy of his respect, worthy of his attention. He doesn't look down on Jesus as just a carpenter from Nazareth or the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. No, he, he sees Jesus as a teacher and he expresses his willingness to become a student of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. It is so positive, it is so promising. Having this man, having this religious and legal expert on his team would be a real feather in Jesus' cap. But as we look a little closer, we can see that what this man is saying isn't quite so positive. Throughout Matthew's Gospel, true disciples never call Jesus teacher. They call him Lord. Furthermore, this man doesn't say to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go and however long you want me to. He says, I will follow you wherever you're going to at present. And finally, he speaks to Jesus as if it's Jesus' lucky day to have him, this legal expert, come up to him saying, I have decided to follow you. Matthew moves our attention, though, from the scribe to the Son of Man. Look at verse 20. Having heard the man's words, Jesus turns to him and highlights his deprivation. The scribe thinks that following Jesus will benefit him socially. He thinks that it will increase his status and his standing within the community. And Jesus tells him here about foxes having holes and birds of the air having nests. They have places to shelter at night. But Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. He has nowhere to call home. If this man is going to follow Jesus, then it will include and involve sharing in his deprivation. Is the man's commitment going to go that far? Is this man willing to give give up house and home to be with Jesus? But Jesus doesn't simply highlight his deprivation as he speaks to the scribe. He also describes who he is to him. The one who has nowhere to lay his head is the Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite self-designation in the Gospels. He uses it 81 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He uses it 31 times alone in Matthew. But, But what does it mean? In the prophecy of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is repeatedly called Son of Man to emphasize that he is a creature living in God's creation. But in the book of Daniel, Daniel sees an exalted figure called the Son of Man, whom God appoints to rule over his creation. And it would seem that Jesus has both Ezekiel and Daniel in mind as he uses the title Son of Man. He's emphasizing that he is both a human and he is God. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we can see who Jesus is. He's the one who's meek. He's the son of man. He is fully man and an impoverished man at that. He is a man who is so poor that he's got nowhere to lay his head. He is a man who has to walk a path of humility and humiliation and humanness. But he's also the one who's majestic. He is the son of man. He's the one whom Daniel said was able to approach the Ancient of Days. 
He saw and whom the ancient of days gives everlasting dominion and glory and an indestructible kingdom to. He's the one who will be served by every nation, by every language, by every person. Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the one who is meek and majestic. He is the one who is divine and human. He is the one who is fully God but also fully man. That is who Jesus is. But as we consider these verses, we can also see what this Jesus is looking for. It's clear from his interaction with this scribe that he's looking for commitment from men and women. He's looking for more than a temporary enthusiasm concerning him. He's looking for more than a shallow decision to follow him. He's looking for more than this. He's looking for dedication. He's looking for devotion. He's looking for a commitment to him regardless of the cost. He is saying to the scribe, if you are going to follow me, then it will involve losing your status. It will involve losing your standing. It will involve in you becoming homeless. Are you willing to risk losing everything? Are you willing to step into the boat? Are you willing to follow me along a path of commitment? And today Jesus still looks for commitment from men and women, whatever the cost. Steve Lawson writes, Salvation is offered to us as a gift, but receiving it always comes at a high price. There are no exceptions to this truth. Granted, the sacrifice required for our faith in Christ will differ from person to person. The price to be paid for following Christ is higher for some than for others, but there will always be a price to pay to come after Jesus. Therefore, those in the crowd must count the cost of following Jesus before they make their commitment to him. If not, they could make a superficial decision that would prove to be disingenuous. Taking this step is so important that Jesus says it calls for sober calculation. No one should decide this on a whim. The stakes are too high. It requires too much of you. Friends, this morning we are being reminded that Jesus isn't looking for a temporary enthusiasm that will fizzle out as quickly as it began. Jesus isn't looking for a shallow decision to follow him that will just give up when things become difficult. Jesus isn't looking for superficial disciples whose commitment to him is surface deep. Instead, he is looking for men and women of commitment. He is looking for men and women who are willing to go wherever he goes, wherever he leads them, however long he calls them to follow, whatever the cost. And the question that this presents to us today, friends, is, is that true of us? Is that true of me? Is that true of you? Have we fully committed ourselves to Jesus? Are we fully on board with Jesus? Have we counted the cost and now we're willing to say, I will go with you wherever you go. But we move from the scribe to the son. Look at verses 21 and 22. And here Matthew focuses on a son who spoke about following Jesus. In verse 21, Matthew introduces us to a delaying disciple. 
Matthew draws our attention to a second character who is standing beside the Sea of Galilee at the beginning of verse 21. He's described here as being another disciple, another of the crowd who are surrounding Jesus, listening to Jesus, watching Jesus, and he now speaks to Jesus. And Matthew shows us that this character comes to Jesus with a condition. Look again at verse 21. He starts on a very positive footing as he calls Jesus Lord. You remember the scribe had just seen Jesus as a teacher, but this man sees that Jesus is more than a teacher. And so he says, Lord. And he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, at first glance, that sounds perfectly reasonable. The Old Testament law made it clear that that children were to honour their parents, and they were to honour their parents not only in life, but in death. The Old Testament made it clear that even priests were exempt from their religious duties when it came to burying their fathers. The burial of parents was a very sacred, a very solemn, a very special responsibility. And this man appears to be taking that responsibility very seriously. He's asking Jesus to allow him time to bury his father. Then he will get into the boat, cross the lake, and follow after Jesus, wherever Jesus is going. But you know, friends, again, we need to probe a little deeper and see the reality behind this man's words. My parents don't understand Western Isles culture. When I tell them that there's a death and I say I'm, I'm going to be taking the funeral in the next day or two, they're like, what? They're used to the, the, the mainland approach where a person will pass away and, and you can be waiting a week, maybe a fortnight before the funeral takes place. It's, it's so quick here. But in Jewish culture, it was even quicker. Within 24 hours of a person dying, they would be buried. And so if this man's father had just died, he would not be standing listening to Jesus having a discussion about discipleship. He would have been too busy, too preoccupied with the funeral arrangements. Instead, this man's father is very much alive and he's asking Jesus to allow him time to be with his father. And then once his father has passed away, then he will get into the boat, cross the lake and follow Jesus. He's saying, Lord, once my father has passed away, then I will follow you. But for the time being, even if it lasts a few years, I will, I will be with my father. I need a delay. In verse 22, we hear Jesus responding to this delaying disciple with a dramatic demand. He begins by saying, follow me. Literally, you follow me now, and you keep on following me. This man has been saying to Jesus, I will follow you, I will come after you, but not today, some other time. And Jesus turns to him and he doesn't say, that's fine. Whenever suits you, however long you need, I'll wait for you. That, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus turns to him and he says, no, you follow me right here, right now. But Jesus isn't finished as he goes on to say, and let the dead bury their own dead. These are some of the hardest and harshest words that we ever hear coming from the lips of Jesus. Most scholars take this to mean that Jesus is saying, let the spiritually dead, those outside the kingdom, bury the physically dead. Now please hear me clearly and carefully. Jesus isn't saying that a Christian can't be a funeral director. Jesus isn't saying that a Christian can't be an undertaker. This is Jesus saying to this delaying disciple, I want you to follow me and to put me first above your own family. 
This is Jesus saying to this delaying disciple, even your greatest personal obligations don't take precedence over me. This is Jesus saying, if there is ever a choice between going to your father's funeral and following me, you must follow me. Now, friends, who but the Son of God could say that? Who but the Son of God could make such a claim as that? Well, as we consider these verses, we can see two further lessons about the commitment that Jesus is calling for. Jesus is looking for a commitment that doesn't procrastinate, that doesn't postpone, that doesn't put off following him. That is what we see in his interaction with this delaying disciple. This man knows that Jesus is crossing over to the other side of the lake and that he now has a choice to follow Jesus or to remain where he is. And he tries to remain on the fence as he says, let me wait, let me bury my father and then I will follow you. And Jesus turns to him and he says, follow me right here, right now. And that is the commitment that Jesus is looking for today. Every time that the gospel is preached, The choice to follow Jesus, the call to follow Jesus is given. And so many people hear that gospel call, that gospel invitation, and they say, not yet. Some other day, some other time, some other place. But not today. They postpone, they put off, they procrastinate when it comes to choosing to follow Jesus. They dither and they delay when it comes to going after him. And friends, I want to say this, and I hope that it doesn't offend, but this is one of the devil's greatest tactics and tools when it comes to seeing a person missing out on Jesus and his promised salvation. Do you know, friends, the devil loves it when you listen to preaching. He loves it when a person listens to preaching, when they're engaged in the preaching, when they're they're moved by the preaching. He loves it when a person comes right up to Jesus and then they stop short of taking hold of him by faith and they say, not yet. If the devil can get you to within touching distance of Jesus like the sun and leave you saying, not yet, he will be more than happy. There's a famous story, I've told it before, about three demons. The devil summoned his evil forces to consider how best to keep the world on his side. And one demon said, send me and I will tell them that there is no God. And Satan replied, they will never believe you. Most of them know that there is a God. And we know that ourselves. That people deep down believe that there is a God. There is some power, some force, some spiritual being out there. And so the second demon came up and he said, send me and I'll tell him that there is no heaven or hell. Satan shook his head saying, that will never do. They will know that there is life after death. And, And again, we know that ourselves. That when we go to a funeral in this island, so many people are looking for a crumb of comfort that their loved one is now in a better place. They may have had no time for the gospel, no time for church, no time for Jesus in this life, but they want to have that crumb of comfort for the life to come. And so the third demon came up and he said, Send me and I will tell them that there is a God in heaven 
And I will tell them there is a heaven and I will tell them there is a hell. But I will also tell them that there is no hurry to decide, that there is always time. Excellent, said the devil with satisfaction. People will be fooled into believing that there is always plenty time to change. And hell will overflow with lost souls. The danger of procrastination. But Jesus is also looking for a commitment that prioritizes him. That puts him first. That that gives him the prime and preeminent place. That is what we see in his interaction with his delaying disciple. This man is saying, Jesus, my father, this member of my family, he comes first. And Jesus says, no, no, my friend, I come first. You must follow after me before your father. And friends, that is the commitment that Jesus continues to look for even today. He is looking for a commitment from men and women that will prioritize him, that will put him first, that will give him the prime, prominent, preeminent place. In his book, True Discipleship, William MacDonald writes, True Christianity is all-out commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Saviour is not looking for men and women who will give their spare evenings to him, or their weekends, or their years of retirement. Rather, he seeks those who will give him first place in their lives. Nothing less than unconditional surrender could ever be a fitting response to his sacrifice at Calvary. Love so amazing, so divine, could never be satisfied with less than our souls, our lives, our all. And so, friends, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, Is there something or someone that we love more than Jesus? Is there something or someone that we love more than Jesus? I remember one Wednesday evening, Man United, sorry for all the football illustrations today, but I'll give you, this is the final one, I promise. But one Wednesday evening, Man United were playing Real Madrid in the Champions League. And this was like the proper Man United team, David Beckham, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Gary Neville, if he's a proper player, all these, all these guys managed by Sir Alex Ferguson. And, and it was the proper Real Madrid team. The Brazilian Ronaldo, not this Portuguese imitation, and, and Raul, and, and, and uh, Hierro, and Zidane, and Luis Figo, all these players. And, and my brother and I, we were 14 and 16 at the time, and we said, let's skip the Wednesday prayer meeting at church, and, and let's watch the match. And Dad came through and he asked us, he challenged us as to whether a football match was coming before Jesus in our lives. I never forgot it. David never forgot it. Twenty years on, we still talk about it. Friend, is there something or someone that your public and private worship and service of Jesus Christ is taking second place to? Is there something or someone that your public and private worship and service of Jesus Christ has taken second place to? It can easily happen. Well, as we close, I want to ask a very simple question. And it's a question for everyone who's here and everyone who's listening online. And the question is simple. It's, are you following Jesus? You might be a professing Christian And you've been following him, but perhaps your commitment hasn't been what it should. No one has said anything to you. No one has challenged you. No one has knocked on your door. 
picked up the phone, sent you a text message and asked you the question, what on earth is going on? But you can see how little the Lord has been featuring in your life. How he's been taking second place to your friends, second place to your family, second place to your work, second place to your hobby, second place to your interests. You can see, and I don't want to be rude friends, but you can see that you spend more time cleaning the toilet in your house than spending time engaging with Jesus. Isn't that that the case? That sometimes, some weeks, we can spend more time cleaning our toilets, hoovering our carpets, scrubbing out the ovens than we do engaging with Jesus. You can see maybe the way in which the Lord hasn't been your great interest. Or you might not be a professing Christian. You've never considered yourself a follower of Jesus. Perhaps you've been putting him off. Or perhaps you've been putting something else in his place. Well, today, friend, if any of this applies to you, I want to say this clearly and categorically. Jesus doesn't stand scolding. Jesus doesn't stand shouting and screaming. Jesus doesn't stand saying, how dare you treat me with so lightly. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say to us, don't you realize who I am? Come on, get your act together. No. Jesus turns to us like he turned to that delaying disciple. And he said, you follow me and keep on following me right here, right now. Are you convicted by the word of God today, friend? Are you challenged by the word? Can you see perhaps a way in which the Lord hasn't been prime and preeminent in your life. He stands and he says, follow me.